G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We are going to be talking about faith in the public square. And you might be aware it is getting tougher in day-to-day life to let your little light shine and to be a Christian in the public square here in Australia. Well, things have been heating up. Christians are out of favour as the culture war appears to favour progressive ideas above Christian conservative values. The Victorian government's on track to criminalise Christian prayer practices for people in the LGBT community next year and could even affect the way pastors preach from the pulpit and conversations around the family dinner table or on the streets. In the state of Queensland, well, Queensland is on track to also have a similar restriction on Christians even talking people out of euthanasia. Imagine that. If there were liberal laws passed later this year, yes, it does appear that even talking to people about a pro-life perspective may soon be criminal. Well, a discussion today about courage to take your faith into the public square. Our special guest today is from the US where he had to go to court to win permission to pray. As a high school student in the state of Colorado, Chase Winderbank took legal action against his school after they told him he couldn't meet with his Christian friends during a free period for prayer and singing. Well, Chase Winderbank was informally leading a prayer meeting with fellow students during a 40-minute non-teaching period built into the daily schedule. Well, we're going to hear Chase's story today and we'll talk about faith in the public square. Chase Winderbank is joining us from Colorado in the United States. Chase, a special welcome along to 2020. Hey there, thank you so much for having me. Chase, you live in Colorado Springs, and some listeners will be aware that's actually the home of Focus on the Family in the U.S. Your dad, in fact, works for Focus on the Family in Colorado Springs. He's the chief operating officer there, and and I guess just to draw attention to this for a moment, because Focus on the Family over the decades has been fearless in standing for a public Christian truth. This is something that you've been raised in. Absolutely. Focus on the family has been a central part of my life growing up, traveling with my dad, engaging with people who are really about the mission of training up families in a Christ-centered way is just a big part of my upbringing. Well, and growing up in a family where those values and biblical truth are held very highly, uh, you find yourself in a school context and you've got an opportunity to gather together with a few friends for prayer. And so uh, this is going back, I think, is it 2014 that you were uh, entered into this sort of controversy here? So give us a little idea how the start of your prayer group happened in your school. Absolutely. I entered uh, Pine Creek High School. It's a public high school here in Colorado Springs. 
my freshman year of high school after being homeschooled kindergarten through eighth grade. So it was quite a bit of a culture shock. And I realized that a lot of students didn't know about Jesus or had so many life issues when it came to school pressure or anxiety with grades or whatnot. So I decided why not start a prayer meeting during our free period. We called it seminar. And we sat on the gym floor and we had to dodge basketballs and volleyballs while pickup games are going on around us. But it was just a way for us to engage with Jesus in a practical way during the school day. Now, let's just bring some context in here. Uh, no wonder the school community uh, that were in authority at the time perhaps got a little bit concerned because your prayer meeting began to grow from just a handful of friends sitting around to, uh, from what I understand, as many as 90 students gathering twice a week for prayer and, and singing. Is that the way it grew? Absolutely. It grew actually quite slowly, however, freshman, sophomore, junior year, or ninth, 10th, and 11th grade. It was quite a small group. and Oftentimes, it was just myself and one other friend, but we just stayed faithful with it. And then I remember the summer before my senior year, I was just talking to the Lord, saying, Lord, I really don't want to do this anymore. It's a lot of work, um, and I just don't know if it's making an impact. And I remember a still small whisperer saying, you know, Chase, just go for it. One more year. It's only one more year. Well, our first meeting that year was 30 people. Then the next meeting was 40. Then the next meeting, 60, 70, 80. Soon, like you said, 90 students were coming twice a week to pray and to worship. It was so encouraging. Now, some of us in Australia will be amazed at that, and we might be thinking that in our Australian school settings, uh, this sort of thing doesn't happen so frequently, and there might be listeners who are aware that, you know, prayer at school is happening, and at different times there have been different uh, groups and movements that have looked to uh, prayer in schools, but is it something that when you were doing this, was this a regular thing that was happening in schools all across the United States, or was this something that was fairly unique to what you were doing in Colorado Springs? I would say that it's pretty common, not in a sense of the numbers or whatnot, but it is common for students to understand their right to pray in the public square. Even when I came on board to the high school, I actually was encouraged by a group of seniors when I was a freshman to start the prayer meeting. They had one going before school hours because all of them could drive, but all of us young students couldn't drive anywhere and our parents didn't want to get us there any earlier than when the school day started. So we decided to pioneer one that worked for us. So you had these 90 students attending a prayer meeting twice a week and no doubt the school authorities are getting a little hot under the collar because uh, that number of students may be starting to cause a little bit of disruption and uh, you're told that your meeting violated a separation between church and state and, and so this is a sort of a, an enactment of, uh, of what this type of understanding of separation would, would happen, uh, would, would it look like in your school? Yeah, it, was, it came as a total surprise. Like I said, three years of doing this prayer meeting without a problem. We went from the gym into the library and then into an unused choir room, and there was no issue. Um, but then somehow, senior year, they, they realized that with the growth, by letting it happen, they assumed that that was their 
approval and or endorsement of it. And they, they got a little nervous thinking that they could have a lawsuit on their hands with a student who was not Christian um, saying, you know what, this is not okay. I'm offended by this, whatnot. Don't know the full motives uh, behind their reason to call me into the, the office and say, hey, you can't pray anymore. But that's what happened. Okay, you're told that there's a violation of this separation between church and state. Uh, you're in a very Christian family. Uh, you've been raised in this Christian family. In fact, I'd, I'd be assuming that Colorado Springs, with the focus on the family organization so strong there, it's a very Christianized sort of a city. So uh, is this something that was a surprise, that there was going to be a, a conflict that was developing over whether students could pray at school? Absolutely. This was a complete surprise to me. Didn't think anything of it. In fact, when they told me, I pulled out some printed out laws that I had in my backpack since freshman year and told them, look, it says it straight in the Constitution. Uh, It says it here in other case law that I can pray and I have the ability to. So I was quite confused and, and taken aback when they told me I was no longer able to gather that during school hours. And, of course, your constitution is a little different to our constitution in Australia. And uh, uh, But in your constitution, there's this recognition, this First Amendment. I wonder whether, I mean, this obviously, going through all of this controversy, you must be very much across your First Amendment rights with your constitution in the U.S. How do you understand that, Chase? Absolutely. The First Amendment, the way I understand it, is that the government shall not establish any religion, nor shall it prohibit the free exercise thereof. And what that means, that's a way to protect the church, because in Britain, before the United States was established, they established the Church of Britain, and it was the government religion, and you actually got punished for going outside of that scope. And that's just not a healthy way to do church or to do faith in the public square. And so our founding fathers realized that and decided to put a provision in the Constitution that guarded the church and made sure um, that the church was protected under that amendment. Of course, the opposition thinks somehow here that the church shouldn't be protected. And, uh, of course, if you don't protect the church, you don't protect everybody's freedom. I wonder whether you've got any thoughts on just the fact that uh, religious freedom is actually everybody's freedom and it's not just about somehow or other protecting a, a group of religious people. Absolutely. I believe that um, religion or freedom to practice our faith in the public square, it's the starting point and the foundation for our nation and for a lot of other free nations around the world. And once that's taken away, it's a very slippery slope into other areas where other rights will be taken away. Now, when all of this controversy began to develop, you contacted uh, an organization called the Alliance Defending Freedom. I imagine that's a a sort of a legal body, and uh, they filed a federal lawsuit on your behalf. So you were taking your school to court over this. How did that, you know, you were a high school student, so I'm not assuming you were a legal genius at this time and and able to lead that whole thing yourself. How were you feeling at that time? Yeah, I wasn't a legal genius then, and I assure I'm not a legal genius now, but I remember back then, quite frankly, a lot of people just see that I took people to court. But 
they don't realize all of the emotions that went behind it. I remember after I got out of that assistant principal's office, I met with that administration four more times, first with the vice principal, then the vice principal and the principal, then a few other officials with the, with the school begging them, telling them that I did have the right to pray. Finally, my dad did suggest going to ADF, which is a great organization that does great work here in the U.S., and I wound up having them file what is called a warning letter, where they send a letter to the school warning them of my right to litigation. And I saw, I told my friends, guys, I'm sure that they're going to back down once they realize that they're in the wrong. However, that was not the case. So it was, it was with much, uh, quite frankly, hesitancy that I filed a lawsuit. Because here in America, quite frankly, lawsuits are very negatively connotized in in our day and age where everyone just is suing everybody. And I did not want that to be the Christian way of doing things, but I didn't find any other way to secure future students' rights to pray. And of course, what we sometimes neglect is the very fact that we have a court system and that is a place of resolving disputes. And uh, yes, we can draw some attention to some biblical foundations about not taking your brother to court, but we actually have our court systems as a Christian foundation for our societies where disputes can be resolved. So uh, we're going to continue our conversation in just a few moments. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Wonderful to have you with us. The talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might have your own thoughts to contribute. You might have a question. Uh, can't promise that we'll be able to ask in, uh, answer any uh, hugely legal-oriented questions, but certainly would field uh, any sort of thought or comment that you might have for our conversation today. Our Facebook question is asking, how far would you be prepared to go if your freedom to be a Christian in public was banned? You can find that question at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Talkback line open 1-800-316-316. Chase Winderbank is our guest. We're talking about our faith in the public square today. Chase, we started to talk about the separation of church and state, and that was the banner under which the school community decided to ban you praying in public with your friends. Uh, but how has your understanding of that separation of church and state uh, in America uh, evolved over that time? What do you understand by that? Absolutely. During our legal proceedings, uh, the two attorneys that were on my case, Jeremy Tedesco and Matt Sharp, really explained it to me well. They said, one, separation of church and state is not in the Constitution. It was a letter from Thomas Jefferson, one of our presidents. And the concept is less about banning church from public places or banning public government in expressing faith, such as in the Supreme Court, we had the Ten Commandments. Um, and a lot of people are asking to take those down, saying it's violating separation of church and state. But the way they explained it to me was this. Let's say you have a foundation, and the foundation is the Bible in America. That is what our nation was founded upon. And there is a state building on that same foundation, and there's also a church building on that foundation. What separation of church and state is, it doesn't mean removing state from the foundation of the Bible. It means keeping the two integrity, the two buildings' integrities separate so that they can thrive 
and actually do their job accordingly. Okay, it's a a great way to look at it, and uh, for a lot of people, and you know, in our Australian context, just reflecting on what some people tend to think is that somehow or other, uh, the church has all sorts of uh, wonderful preference over the state, and therefore it has to be brought down. And uh, that would similarly be the case in America, where people misunderstand this idea of what the church relation to the state is, and seeing in some respects the church as a threat to. To the state, uh, whereas in actual fact the opposite then becomes true as the, the state becomes a threat to the church. Is that the way it's sort of happening in, in the U.S., the way, the way you see it? Absolutely. These two things seem to be at perpetual war with one another, not in a sense of animosity from the church, but uh, the state feeling threatened by the power of the church. And that, that was Christ's whole point in coming to the earth, is that his church would be a place where the underprivileged could find hope instead of from the hand of the government. It was a place where the lonely could be set into families instead of there being um, state-run adoption agencies, etc., etc., etc. The church is meant to be an incredible source of social stability. Fabulous. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Richard in Alstonville in New South Wales. Hello, Richard. Welcome along. Uh, hey, guys. Um, just one or two two things I wanted to say quickly, and then I had a question for you. Um, I, I saw a uh, video on, online um, a while back of, you mentioned before, Queensland and how the laws are changing in Queensland, and actually... It was of police officer and a council officer actually stopping somebody on the Sunshine Coast for doing evangelism. Mm. So from what, from what I hear, some of it has already started to happen for people's rights to evangelise and, and talk about certain subjects in public in Australia already. And the other um, thing I wanted to say quickly um, is I imagine us being un, under the... or us coming out of the British system, colonial system, that... Um, it's already written into constitution in Australia. So does that mean that um, the Westminster system is is all part of how it's translated from the Bible to, to what's in law and what's our human rights as Christians, as well as rights generally? Okay, well, I'm not the legal constitutional expert here, and we don't have a lawyer in our conversation, uh, but the way I understand it is that there is an inference of the separation of church and state in the similar way to what happens in the U.S. Constitution, uh, insofar as when our Constitution was drafted at the turn of the 20th century, uh, there was actually influence that came from the U.S. Constitution. So some of those similarities are there. And, of course, uh, back to, um, you know, co- uh, colonisation and uh, our legal system, that comes back to the Westminster connection. But uh, so far as constitutions go, uh, there is this inference, as far as I'm aware, of uh, this idea that uh, separation of church and state and the idea of uh, of of not being able to stop a... 
uh, a way of uh, Christians meeting together or people of any religious persuasion uh, meeting together. Uh, Richard, does that uh, sort of solve your issue there? I mean, I'm, I'm not uh, a legal expert. We do occasionally have uh, legal philosophers on this program and talking about such things, but I can't give you a definitive legal response there. I wonder whether, Chase, do you have any thoughts for, for Richard? I mean, uh, separate to, uh, to, yeah. the, uh, to the British foundations is, of course, the American Constitution. Yeah. Richard, thanks so much for your question. Mine will be less legal advice and more uh, faith advice. I would say that there's so many videos circulating on the Internet of uh, church items being banned or, like you said, uh, a young person being stopped on the beach for evangelizing. And that can cause fear in us. And that can cause us to actually dampen our witness. But Richard, I would encourage you to not let that dampen your witness. Continue going and knowing that Jesus is delighted when his name is proclaimed. And he's delighted to be known and made known, no matter what country or legal system we're found in. And Richard, just quickly, you're absolutely right that the pressure is on, uh, even for people who want to share their faith on the street. And I can tell you that in the city of Brisbane, in the Queen Street Mall, which is the main gathering uh, social and shopping area in the middle of the capital city of Queensland in Brisbane, that it is illegal for Christians to be able to share their faith and hand out tracts on the street. And this is happening more and more. Yes, uh, evangelists are under all sorts of pressure. And so the conversation today really about having some level of courage and the question I'm asking on Facebook, how far would you be prepared to go if your freedom uh, to be a Christian in public was banned? So it is an interesting question and it gets us thinking. Let me encourage listeners, you can respond to that on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. You might want to engage with other listeners there too. There might even be some more thoughts on uh, constitutional foundations. And uh, no doubt we'll be addressing this uh, with some constitutional experts in times to come. But Richard, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Natalie in Brisbane. Hello, Natalie. Welcome along. Hello. Um, yeah, just a, a comment. I guess you would call it historical. I'm trying to remember how many years ago. I would say 10 to 15 years ago, uh, Anna Bly was Minister for Families. So I don't know if that places it, but we are very involved with adoptions and have adopted several children, etc. And at that point, we were one of presidents for one of the adoption support groups, the African ones. And um, obviously there were three support groups and all the support group people certainly at the time that I knew were very much Christians as I guess adoption would tend to attract those sorts of people. And we had a meeting because adoptions were um, really struggling in Queensland, still are. And we had a meeting with the Minister for Families and various support people and various workers of family, the family services. And I, at the beginning of the meeting, said, this is really important. Can we just open in prayer? Well, <laughs> that did not go down well. <laughs> that did not go down well. Fifteen minutes later, with everyone on the minister's side and the government side saying, no, we couldn't possibly do that, and 
the support people saying, well, it would be nice. Um, I thought we would have prayed, you know, it would have taken a minute. We'd be through this now. (laughs) What you're saying, Natalie, is that uh, even the idea of doing a Christian practice, like the simple let's open in prayer here, and uh, interestingly, because our state and federal parliaments open in prayer each day, uh, there's often moves to try and uh, cancel that too. But when you try to do that on an individual basis, even then there will be those who will try and shut you down. Uh, Natalie, I want to thank you very much for calling in and talking uh, through that, just uh, remembering that issue. Chase, uh, in America, uh, you've got all sorts of uh, tensions that are going on. Uh, It's taking a whole lot more courage on the part of Christians to just stand up and be counted for the things that you've held as your traditional rights. This courage, uh, something obviously yours has been on display. Has that been a leadership to a whole lot of other people who are saying, hey, if it's good enough for Chase, I can stand up for my Christian rights as well? It is a challenge for sure. There is increasing opposition and challenges here in the U.S. and as well as I'm hearing in Australia. Yeah, I would say it was a big blessing to do this lawsuit, even though it was quite a challenge personally. Uh, The attorneys at ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom, just told me about all sorts of different students who, as soon as they heard about my case, also stood up because similar things were happening. Uh, Even if I was able to inspire one student to stand up and pray and stand up and live out faith personally, it's a big deal. We've got some thoughts coming through from listeners who are responding to today's Facebook question. The question I've asked is, how far would you be prepared to go if your freedom to be a Christian in public was banned? Uh, Well, Armel says, no one can stop us praying. We can pray silently. Now, I'll get your thoughts here, but uh, if we pray silently, uh, isn't that taking a defeatist sort of a way of thinking about faith in a public square. If you're going to be able to pray, you should be able to pray out loud. What are your thoughts for a comment like that? Prayer is something that is so personal, but I don't believe it was meant to stay private. So prayer has two different forms. One, it's our intimate communication with the Father. But then two, it's also for the edification of the church. So when we do prayer meetings, if imagine if our church got together and no one said a word, we all just spoke to God in our minds. That wouldn't encourage the saint to press on to know Jesus. So yes, we can pray silently, uh, and no one can ever stop us doing that. However, prayer in the public square, out loud, with other Christians, and so that non-Christians can hear our testimony about Jesus is so critical to the life of Christianity. Another response, Thea says, it already is. Victorian laws can see some Christians jailed for preaching God's truth and Facebook bans many Christian views. Uh, it's increasingly happening on social media. The idea of uh, of cancelling people, of uh, coming against people who might express a Christian view on social media, that no doubt is uh, certainly part of the narrative that's going on in the US, Chase. Absolutely, yeah. It it is a scary prospect to think that for so long our Christianity has actually been the majority view here in America and perhaps in Australia, and it is quickly declining to become the minority view. However, we have to remember the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount that blessed are you when people 
persecute you, revile you, or utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, for your reward is great in heaven. Now, what was happening with your controversy was happening in a pre-Donald Trump era. All this was going on before Donald Trump. Uh, That would have been under uh, Barack Obama. But Donald Trump, in his era, tried to uh, bring about extra freedoms for Christians. In fact, uh, a freedom-loving president, some people will describe Donald Trump as. In fact, your controversy led you to the White House, where you were invited to share your story to President Donald Trump and the gathering there. How did that all go? Yeah, it was four years after the whole incident was done. I thought God had used it to its full extent. And then here comes a call from the White House uh, asking me to come and join the president in the Oval Office for National Religious Freedom Day, celebrating the First Amendment. And it it is so great to have government officials, be it Republican or Democrat, who choose to say, no, the right to pray and the American um, identity as a country of freedom is far more important than any sort of political agenda we can get across. And that that's what I found that day. Well, National Freedom, uh, National Religious Freedom Day, uh, perhaps we need one of those in Australia. So uh, that happens, no doubt, on a day each year. Now, without Donald Trump in the Oval Office, there has been a change and uh, perhaps things would be a little different under a Joe Biden. Uh, but I know when it comes to religious freedom issues, you've got to work with both sides of the uh, of the spectrum when it comes to you know left and right. And so uh, you've got to actually engage with both sides. How does that affect things so far as religious freedom goes in the United States now? What leaders might be thinking about perhaps? Absolutely. They're are always different agendas based on the different political parties. However, you do get individuals within each party who um, share Christian values. I would say that it's sad to see something that President Trump put out about banning abortion and making sure that we were a country of pro-life has unfortunately been rolled back by by President Biden, which is unfortunate. And I believe that we need to make sure that as Christians, we're not just waiting for another president that may share our similar values, but we are actively engaging in the political sphere as well as in the social sphere and just choosing to say, no, I will live out Christian values. Uh, Interesting. We'll talk another response or two to our Facebook question. How far would you be prepared to go if your freedom to be a Christian in public was banned? And uh, David in Cairns says... I'd feel the same as a Muslim who was prohibited from wearing a hijab in public. Now, that's interesting because religious freedom is religious freedom not just for Christianity but for all religious faiths. Uh, There's a certain sense here in which that often uh, does create controversy when people say uh, ban the burqa or the hijab in this case that David's talking about. But there is a certain sense here in which Christians have a tendency perhaps to roll over a little too easily, whereas other faith groups may well say uh, we need to stand on uh, on what this religious liberty means for us. What are your thoughts for a question for a comment like that from David? If we decide to give up religious freedom in any moment, in any time, even if it's trying to justify it, where perhaps the Muslim faith is 
being sequestered, but the Christian faith is being uplifted. We need to make sure that we are standing for religious liberty uh, in all spheres because Jesus cares about all people. And we need to realize that it's little by little that our freedoms are taken away, not in one big fell swoop. The question is, how far would you be prepared to go if your freedom to be a Christian in public was banned? Ed says, like Peter, I could claim that I would stand with Jesus to the death. While I would sincerely hope that this is not the case, till that moment comes, I don't really know. Uh, This idea of having courage, of having an ideal, uh, what are your thoughts here for someone like Ed who, uh, who says, well, like Peter, I'd like to be able to say I'll stand with Jesus? We all can have idealistic expectations of what we would do in the big moments, and we would be willing to die in honor for our faith. But sometimes it starts in the small moments, and not just sometimes, all times. It starts by living humbly and boldly in little moments that don't seem like compromise or that don't seem like persecution. But if we don't choose to side with Jesus in every moment, when our Peter moment comes, we will deny Jesus. But if we choose day in and day out to be with Jesus in every little thing, then when our Peter moment comes, we'll be ready. Chase, Cheryl responds to the same question, says, I will not know until or unless in that position. So we don't know what we'll be like until we're in a position where we're put under pressure. Uh, She says, I hope I would be prepared to go to jail. Many Christians have already worldwide. What about this idea of, well, if you do stand for your faith and it is considered to be illegal, that you may well face fines or jail? What are your thoughts for someone like Cheryl and her thoughts? You don't know until you're in that position. I would tell Cheryl that she's right. We don't know different situations. However, what we do know is where we are currently. The question is for Cheryl in the office, if Christianity is being made fun of, are you going to shrink back? Or are you going to be okay at being identified as a Christian? Or if it costs you popularity at school? I know um, a young student, Faith, over in Brisbane, I believe that's how you say it. Sorry for my American lack of knowledge there. Um, Faith was being shunned for wearing her Christian cross and for doing prayer meetings and whatnot. And she chose to stand up, even though it was not facing jail time, it was facing... um, Time out of the spotlight or time out of popularity. I guess the challenging thing is making a stand as an individual because you think, if I do make this stand, will anybody stand alongside me? And I guess your experience, Chase, is that when you had that small gathering of friends who were gathering for prayer in that free period at school, uh, you didn't anticipate that there'd be a huge number of people that eventually would stand beside you. Do you think that uh, taking that little bit of extra courage and taking the lead there uh, will actually stimulate others to say, well, wait a minute, you're right, I'm going to stand with you. Uh, Sometimes we need someone to lead, don't we? Absolutely. Leadership is about seeing more and seeing before. So the idea of saying, you know, I don't know if someone will stand with me. However, what I do know is that Jesus is standing right here with me. And it was crazy. Even during the whole lawsuit, I had atheist friends coming up to me saying, yeah, Chase, I support what you're doing. 
Um, there are people who may not share our religious values who do share our sense of patriotism. There's clearly a misunderstanding in your uh, atheist friends or the people who think that somehow or other the state has to have uh, authority over the church and and uh, and to you know uh, eliminate the church almost eliminate the public stance of faith and there are this sort of misunderstanding about church and state. Uh, is this something that you'd encourage people to really get a an idea about to uh, to understand how to argue this point when it comes to church and state? Because oftentimes uh, this is used now as a, a weapon in an argument. Uh, you know, we have a, a separation between church and state. Is this one of the key areas? Let's talk about some of the practical ways that you might be able to be prepared for the sorts of conflict that might come. The way I was prepared for it in high school was printing out laws, going to different uh, Christian or faith-based law firms, websites, and finding out what I do have legal right to do. And even if we don't have a legal right to do it, let's say prayer is completely banned or evangelism is banned, that doesn't mean that we need to stop in that regard. Uh, So I would say to all the students out there especially, know that you have more freedom than the media says you do. Oftentimes, the media can inflate very simple laws or very simple court cases and make it seem like now all of a sudden Christianity is the worst thing in the world or praying in school is completely banned. But I would say, challenge that. Step out and say, no, I, I think I have more rights than the media is portraying. I know that there's a certain sense in which uh, there's some Christians reluctant to pray and, uh, you know, they'll stand on the side and say, of course we want religious freedom, but it's more of a wish than a prayer. Uh, You're a prayer warrior, clearly, because, I mean, this was the whole controversy for you, Chase. What's the value for, and I'm talking about young people here, and uh, you were a young high schooler when this was all going on for you, for young people not just wishing things would go right, but actually being a prayer warrior. What's the difference here? The difference about just simply wishing things will go right and actually praying that they will is a very big one. If I were to have filed federal lawsuit like I did and not have prayed for the people that I was going up against in court, it would have made me a hypocrite. So the idea of, yes, we're going to stand for our freedoms, but we're going to pray for those who are in opposition to us. And we're going to make sure that when we pray, we're not praying that God would smite them or God would bring um, harsh justice, but he would bring mercy that leads to repentance um, and that he would lead our nation, be it America or Australia or anywhere else in the world, back to knowledge of him. This idea of love your enemies, uh, there's, you know, some people will say, well, turning the other cheek, doesn't that mean just we, you know, we get walked over by our enemies? But loving your enemies, uh, is this an attitude of the heart or how does this work practically when you're when you're deciding to make a stand and saying, no, this is this is truth. uh, This is righteousness. This is what I stand for. Yeah, it's funny. I've been married for almost four years now, and sometimes my wife and I can feel like enemies over really little things. And I can say that I love her, but if I don't follow it up with action, it's not actually loving her. So loving our enemies, even in tiny moments and in big moments, loving our enemies looks like going out of our way to seek their good and to let them know that Jesus loves them. 
And it's a it's a big deal for Christians to show the love of Jesus. Just coming back to your story for a moment here, Chase, because you took the school to court and it was all about this free period and whether you could pray in that free period. You actually won in court and so there's something quite significant in that itself. But what was the school's reaction then? Because as I understand it, they actually then cancelled the free period. Is that the way they reacted? Unfortunately, they did cancel the period after we they filed an affidavit, which is what it's called here, that they would allow students to pray during free periods during school hours. And they just canceled the period altogether. And it was unfortunate to see a lot of my classmates and the underclassmen who were there with me no longer have the opportunity to pray during that free period because the free period was gone altogether. Some of us will be thinking, uh, we're just warming up. There's uh, that old illustration of, uh, of the frog in the pot and things are getting hotter and somehow or other the frog doesn't necessarily recognise the temperature of the water is changing. What are your thoughts for the fact that things are changing and they're changing at a great rate of knots for the whole of Western civilization? You're in America. Here we are in Australia. We've identified a whole lot of things that are changing very quickly here. And some of these things, perhaps even at a greater rate and worse changes than what you're seeing in the United States. What are your thoughts for recognising the change and recognising how you need to be preparing now to stand when you are put on the spot and when your freedoms are being threatened? We cannot just sit by and wait for the water to become boiling before we start to speak out, before we start to uh, live out our faith. Like I said before, faith is personal, but it was never meant to be private. People need to hear the good news of Jesus, whether it's legal or not. Um, And until it is illegal, let's use our rights, be it voting in elections or um, going out and doing petitions about making sure that prayer and Christian values and religious liberty is protected in our nations, not just fight it after they're already taken away. Uh, One more response to our Facebook question that asks, how far would you be prepared to go if your freedom to be a Christian in public was banned? Christine says, I would like to say thank you to Chase for standing up and being courageous when he was challenged with this issue at high school. It's encouraging, and I hope many young people will take heart that they too can stand up and defend their faith in God, even in difficult personal circumstances. Sometimes we think things are going to be easy in our lives, but we're faced with things that are difficult and that are challenging, that even might be scary at the time. But here's Christine uh, honouring you here for standing up and being courageous. And the idea that you weren't standing alone, that there were others who were guiding you, that uh, were standing by you. And we talked about it right at the beginning of our conversation, uh, your own family. You've got a very strong Christian foundation in your family. They recognised that you couldn't just uh, fall over here. You had to do something to make a stand. And uh, this idea of standing together, that's going to be a part of the courage that is going to come in the lives of people when they are facing these circumstances. Uh, The idea of standing together, and we've run out of time, but uh, just a quick thought or two here as we come back to this concept of courage, Chase. You've got to take courage. Courage also has to come from God, doesn't it? And uh, you're the prayer warrior here. Does courage come when you pray? 
Courage comes when we pray because when we pray, we're faced with the reality that we're so small, but God is so much bigger and so much greater. And he says in his word that the battle is not ours, but his. All we need to do is trust in him. So friends, whether you're in Australia or America or wherever else, may you know that God is with you and that we do get to choose to stand in courage because the Holy Spirit has gone before us and is empowering us. Well, Chase Winderbank, just been wonderful hearing your story today and thanks so much for taking some time to just uh, you know bring a reflection on what things have meant since you went through that ordeal back in 2014 onwards. And it was a three-year uh, challenging time for you. Uh, but uh, Chase, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us. How do people connect with you? As I don't think you have a website specifically, but people connecting with you on Facebook Facebook, on social media. How could Australians connect with you? Yeah, they can always go through Facebook and look me up, Chase Windebank, or at Chase.Windebank on Instagram. I would love for them to connect and um, I'd love to f- find a way to encourage them any way I can. Fabulous. Uh, connect with Chase on social media. His name is Chase Windebank, W I N D E B A N K. Chase, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Take care. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.